Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. D.L. Moody, every day of his adult life, prayed for 100 people. Prayed for 100 people to know Christ. Now, he had this list of 100 people. Over the course of his lifetime, he saw 96 of those come to Christ. And at his funeral, the last four independently came to know who Jesus was. And so, if a man can pray for 100 people every day of his adult life, don't you think that most of us can pray for 13 people over the course of the summer? And by the way, you can pray for as many people as you want. This is just for starters. First person I'm asking you to pray for is yourself under that number one category. You can be self-focused without being selfish, and I'm inviting you to pray Hebrews 6.19, where it talks about the hope of Jesus being the anchor for our soul. That's the only time that image is used in the New Testament, that we, not only do we hold on to God, He holds on to us, okay? And we'll come to that anchor imagery a little later today. Then the next six people, I would just encourage you to pray for fellow Christians, people who you know are maybe facing a challenging time. On my list, and by the way, I took several runs at it this week just to kind of curate that list. God, who are you wanting me to pray for? Um, dropped some people off, added some people on, but on that list is a friend of mine who's dealing with a pretty significant health issue, a friend of mine who's dealing with a season of depression right now. And so pray for fellow followers of Jesus and pray Hebrews 12 over them. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And then the last six people on the list will be people who do not yet know Christ. And on my list are a few people who I've been praying for for a long, long time. But also on my list are some new folks who, a couple of years ago, they would have called themselves followers of Jesus. But now have completely deconstructed and walked away from their faith. And so to pray intentionally, and by the way, if you don't know enough non-Christians to put a list there, it might mean that you need to get out of your circle a little bit. It might mean that you need to step out of what is light good for to, to illumine a dark place and get to know some more people. It's a nice way of saying, make friends, you know, make friends. They don't have to believe and think exactly like you do. In fact, we are called to reach out to folks and to pray for people over the course of the summer to come to know Christ and to pray um, Hebrews 4 over them. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, right? So what I'd ask you to do this week, go ahead and, and finish this up and bring it with you every week to worship. In fact, would you stand with me right now? And I want to pray over those of you who've already put names on this list, but would you just hold this marker in your hand and I wanna pray for you as you determine who to pray for. So Father, I do um, pray over these prayers this summer that you would bring to mind, that you would put into our heart some individuals, first of all ourselves, that we would have our hope firmly grounded in you. For other followers of Jesus who need to throw off hindrances and run after you. And for those who don't know you yet, that they would hear your voice and your voice may speak to them through us. And so I pray over these prayers this week that you would help us to discern and determine who we need to be praying for and then to do so faithfully and fruitfully. I pray that over us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may have a seat. So part of this prayer challenge is to do some challenging things this summer. One is to pray for 
for a lot of folks. And the other challenging thing that we're doing is reading through and studying through the book of Hebrews this summer. Um, 19, excuse me, 1860, when the Pony Express opened up. By the way, it's interesting that the Pony Express only operated for a couple of months, but it's become a part of our, our cultural understanding, our cultural heritage. So when the Pony Express opened, they needed some really good riders. So here was the advertisement in one local newspaper. Wanted, this, again, this is 1860, wanted, young, skinny, wiry fellows. Well, young, skinny, wiry, yep, I'm out. Not over 18, must be expert riders, willing to risk death daily, orphans preferred. <laughs> you know what that last line communicates? It communicates you've got almost nothing to lose, right? I find it so interesting in our culture. No, notice what's happening. Most of the big blockbuster movies are about superheroes, people who are strong. Yet in reality, most of us live in a framework of being scared and afraid. Do you see that disconnect there? We admire people that are strong, but we just can't seem to conjure that up within ourselves. You know, maybe as followers of Jesus, we need to model that our priority is not safety. Our priority is strength. It's growing strong. And that means doing some hard things. I want to encourage you this summer, pray for people. Okay? Pray every single day. Make a decision. The first thing you're going to do is pray for somebody else. You have no idea, we have no idea, the impact of prayer. In a room with, I'm going to say 700 people. Um, actually, I'll say 1,400 people, but 700 is probably real, right? Pastors always exaggerate the numbers. I'm meaning to be funny, right? But just imagine in a room with 700 people, the impact of each of us praying for a dozen people. I also want to invite you to do something a little challenging, and that is read through the book of Hebrews with me. And by the way, I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not doing. This is, this is tough stuff. Hebrews is heady brew, if I'm allowed to say that in church. There are books that are easy to understand in the Bible, but then the, there are those that are just out and out work. But it's rewarding if we can see what happens here. So the whole book of Hebrews launched into it last week. If you go to the end, there's a little verse hidden in chapter 13, verse 22. You don't need to turn there, but it says this, I've written this brief word of exhortation. So whatever else Hebrews is, it's an exhortation to us. Okay. Sorry, my microphone is cutting in and out. I'm just going to keep going and, and you try to keep up, okay? If it, I'll scream if I need to. I'm not a good screamer, right? So it's a word of exhortation. Now, that's not a very familiar word to us, but just look at that middle word, hort, H-O-R-T. It's more familiar than you think. You hear it in the word horticulture, right? It means to make things grow. And the writer of Hebrews, what he wants to do is he wants to help people grow in the right direction. And get this, seven times in the book of Hebrews, he uses one verb, draw near, draw near, draw near, draw near. You get the idea that we are to grow in the direction of God. But everything in us and everything in the world seems to want us to grow in any direction but that, okay? That's why we need this exhortation. In fact, that's where chapter 2 starts. We are called to draw near, and the writer in this word of exhortation deals with the opposite of drawing near. Here's what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. 
we must pay the most careful attention to what we've heard about Jesus. We must pay the most careful attention lest we drift away. Again, the exhortation of Hebrews is draw near, but we have this tendency to drift away. How many of you grew up going to the beach a lot growing up? You went to the beach, regular family vacations, or you lived near a beach? Okay, we may boo these people right now. How many of you didn't grow up anywhere near a beach? And I'm, I'm in this category. I grew up in West Texas. We had sand because it's desert, and the only water we had we used to drink it, right? So that's, that's where I grew up. But a few years after we were married, we moved to Montgomery, Alabama. And Montgomery, Alabama is exactly three and a half hours north of Destin, Florida. My wife has never been more in love with me than she was then, okay? So we'd get away for a weekend, we'd go down to the beach. Our first time to the beach though, and I went once or twice growing up, first time to the beach, something incredible happened. We got out in the water, we were splashing around with our only child at that point, and we looked up and somebody had taken all our stuff. It was gone. I mean, I, I looked where we had left it, and it was everything gone. I mean, our little igloo cooler and our cruddy little towels, they were just gone. But then I looked around and noticed it's not the same people that were there before. What had happened? I didn't grow up around the beach. I didn't know that once you get in the water, whether you're aware of it or not, you kind of drift down, don't you? The waves don't slap straight in. They, they kind of come at a curve. And before you know it, if you're not paying attention, you're... 20 meters down the beach, right? So I had to learn when looking for our stuff to recognize the reality of drift. Listen, we need to pay careful attention to what we've heard lest we drift away. And so I started thinking about this. What are some things in our world that cause us to drift away from God, that cause us to drift away from the gospel, that cause us to drift away from the good news that is in Jesus Christ, and came up with a list. I'm not saying this is complete, but one of them, I'm going to start with, with what's internal, distraction. What causes me to drift away from God and the gospel and Jesus? Distraction. In fact, one philosopher says that we live, get this phrase, in continual partial attention. That's our lives. I mean, how many of us while we watch TV, we're playing a game on our iPhone. Continual partial attention. How many of us were walking, we're sending a text message? Partial attention. How many of us, when we're driving, we're on the phone? Continual partial attention. We have so many distractions around us, it's hard to focus on just one thing. Could I encourage you? Focus on one thing today. There is nothing more important or more urgent than understanding who God is, who Jesus is, and why He's important to our life. We need to weed out some of the distractions. Another thing that causes us to drift is not only what's around us, but what's inside of us. And I would put a couple of lists or a couple of items on this list. One would be discouragement. Following Jesus is just hard. It's, it's not easy, okay? Um, G.K. Chesterton once said that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It's tough to follow Jesus. If you think it's easy, try loving your neighbor. Try that on for size, right? And so sometimes we just get tired, give up, and we just want to drift downstream. We drift, right? Another thing that causes us to drift is disillusionment been around Christian circles enough, we get disillusioned with 
If we grow up in a Christian home, we see the way our parents act. Well, they really don't honor God behind the scenes, so why would I believe in that God? Or you might have had a bad experience with a pastor, and, and please don't put your trust in me. You don't want to go there. It's not worth it. And we get disillusioned with other Christians. You know the really tragic part about that is you're letting the worst in other people deciding who you are. We should let the worst in other people bring out the best in who we are, and the last thing we should do is let knuckle-headed decisions on behalf of other people who call themselves Christians but can't live up to the reputation, and who of us can, why would we let them determine our faith? But we do, and we drift. So I've listed three so far, distraction, discouragement, disillusionment. Here's a big one, and I'm a little old-fashioned. I believe that there is actually an embodiment of evil in our universe called Satan. Listen, evil's real, and it's personal. And I think Satan's ultimate camouflage would be us just not to believe that he even exists. And I don't believe in Satan because I want to. I believe in Satan because that's what the Bible reveals, right? That's what Jesus has revealed. But we need to be very careful of deception. If we're not careful, we can be deceived and believe that other things matter more than who God is and who He wants to be in our life. We, we end up putting more energy into the car we drive. We do more research on the neighborhood we move into than we do our eternal destiny. We must pay attention, the most careful attention, to what we have heard lest we drift away. So I've been talking for about 12 minutes on one verse. We're going to be here all morning. There was a little nervous laughter right there. We're not. Now, here's, here's kind of the first awkward bout with Hebrews that we're going to deal with, and, but it, really you just need to step back and see. The wording may be a little awkward, but the message is clear. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so we do not drift away. That's the exhortation. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord. Step back here. Whenever God gave an announcement in the Scripture, be it to Abraham or Joseph or Mary or Zechariah, He sent an angel. In fact, the word angelos means messenger. So if we pay attention to the message of angels, man, we better really pay attention to the message that comes from the Lord Himself. Amen. Jesus delivered this message in person. So if we really pay attention to angels, we really need to pay attention to Him. This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed. We see kind of an overview of Jesus' ministry. God testified through signs, wonders, various miracles, including the resurrection, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Brought a little show and tell for you this morning. So, in 1938, Lena Blackburn was a third base coach for the Philadelphia Athletics baseball team. I did not mistake, I did not misspeak. The Philadelphia Athletics, it's before they moved wherever they moved to. Okay. I'm just struggling up here. Give me a minute. Okay, I'll get it back together. Okay, Lena Blackburn is third base coach. Uh, umpire was complaining to him one day. He said, these baseballs that we get, they're so slick and we try to toughen them up, we try to roughen them up by just taking a little bit of, of dirt and water, making mud, and scuff them up a little bit, but 
The mud we use from the field is, is too soft. It makes the baseball too soft. It's easily to be tampered with. Lena Backburn was from New Jersey, and he just knew back home that there had to be a mud bog somewhere near his home that would produce the perfect mud. So during the offseason, he went back, dug up a big bucket of this stuff, brought it back, rubbed this mud over the baseballs before they were used, and lo and behold, it was the perfect mixture of mud. And so Lena Blackburn went into the mud business, and wouldn't you know, New Jersey is the mud capital of the world, all right? Every baseball, if you watch baseball today, every baseball used in the major leagues is treated with this mud first. So I had to get some. So this week I ordered some Lena Blackburn's mud. He's a genius because I spent $25 for a little thing of mud, right? And I thought, oh, it's gonna have a cellophane wrapper on the inside. Nope, they just stuffed it with mud. There it is right there, okay? I love stories like this, okay? I, I love things that are off the beaten path. I think the thing that attracts me to this, by the way, Lena Blackburn discovered this particular mud bog. He passed that information down to his son, then sold it to a, a family friend. To this day, nobody knows where this mud comes from. It's a closely guarded secret a secret I spent $25 to have just a bit of, right? I think that's what draws me to it is, is just the secret of it all. So let me tell you a secret. And this is mystery, okay? Lean in and listen to this. We started in mud. God decided to create you and I, our entire race. What did he do? He scooped mud out of a bog somewhere and he formed humanity. You say, well, I don't come from, from, from mud. Yeah, yeah, we do. We're made of the very substance of the earth. That's where we come from. And whether you came directly from mud as Adam or from your mama, we're made from the same stuff. And when God made you, he formed you. You are not here by accident. You are not a mistake. God formed you. Some people never wrap their mind around that idea. We are not a cosmic accident. God formed us, but now here's the problem. Sin deformed us. We made our own decisions. We went our own way. We decided to do our own thing. And as a result, humanity has never lived up to its full potential. You have never lived up to who you are supposed to be because sin has so malformed and deformed us. What can be done about this? Well... That's where the writer of Hebrews is going to take us. In fact, he starts by quoting Psalm 8, which the choir sang over us this morning, that he made us a little bit lower than the angels, but he crowned us with glory and honor. Now, the writer of Psalms is not just talking about us. The writer of Psalms is actually giving a prophecy about Jesus, who he would get into the mud with us the majesty of God would become mud in our likeness, right? And he would get in here with us. So I want you to look. Um, I'm skipping over some verses here. But I want you to notice after he quotes Psalm 8, what is mankind that you're mindful to him, a son of man that you would care for him? Putting everything under him, God left nothing that was not subject to them. Yet at the present time, we do not see everything subject. Notice verse 9, but we do see... I'm going to pause right here. Go back and read Hebrews 1.1 1, 1, 
through Hebrews 2.8, what you'll notice is the name of Jesus is never used. The writer draws out the anticipation as long as he possibly can. And then finally, when people can't stand it anymore, he said, but we do see Jesus. And I can almost see a sigh as people wrap their heart and their mind around that name. Let me do a little sidebar here for just a second. I talked to a friend this week dealing with depression, and I wish I'd had the presence of mind to say this to my friend. He said, I just can't pray anymore. When you get there, and if you haven't, you probably will at some point. We all, we all will. The best word you can pray is the name Jesus. If you can't pray this morning, could I encourage you just to stop there? His name fits inside one breath. And just by praying his name, it's not a mantra. There's nothing magical about his name. You are praying for his presence over your life. We do see Jesus. Now, before we talk about what this means, I want to ask you a question. Do you see Jesus for yourself? We're going to talk about some ways to see him here in just a minute. Um, I ran across an article two weeks ago. Um, Y'all know Taylor Swift is on tour through the United States right now. As soon as I say the name Taylor Swift, every young lady under 18 just kind of perks up and wakes up, okay? And every guy over 50 goes, ugh, yeah. There's probably a 70-year-old dude somewhere here in the room that really loves Taylor Swift, Tell no one you do that. Okay. Taylor Swift sold out world tour. Can't get tickets anymore to, to see her live. Well, one particular fan went to her concert, after, afterwards went to eBay, took out her contact lenses, and she tried to sell her contact lenses on eBay saying, I watched Taylor Swift through these lenses, and she's selling them for $10,000. Okay. Who would be dumb enough to buy a pair of contact lenses for $10,000? Probably the same guy who would buy mud for $25, right? I'm, I have no, no room to speak, right? But you can buy those contact lenses. You can own them, but you're not going to see Taylor Swift. It doesn't put you any closer to her. Somebody else saw her. Do you see Jesus for yourself? It could be that you've seen Jesus through the eyes of your parents. You inherited your faith from them, but you've never really seen him for yourself. It could be that you're here with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse, and you kind of see Jesus through them, right? They're, they're a committed follower of Jesus, and you're just kind of long for the ride, but you're looking at Jesus through them. Could be, and I hope this is not the case, that you look at Jesus through the eyes of your pastor. Don't go there, trust me. The only time you ever pray or read is when we do that here on Sunday. Could I encourage you? See Jesus for yourself. That means that you need to know who Jesus is and what you believe about him. And we're going to deal with some really big questions here in just a second, okay? Look at verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who is made lower than the angels for a little while, now is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Big questions. Who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh. Amen. Really? Why is that important? Here's the deal. God created everything. And if it gets broken, only the creator can fix it. 
That's why it's so important to understand the divinity of Jesus, and that's all of Hebrews chapter 1. If creation gets broken, the only person who can fix it is the Creator Himself. So Jesus is God in flesh. But Jesus is also human. That's what Hebrews 2 talks about. So why is that important? Why, how can Jesus be both God and human? Well, it's part of it's a mystery. But part of it is in one person are these two natures. Why is it important to understand Jesus as a human? And why did he have to die? This is written all over the Older Testament. If you read any part of the Older Testament, it's always about these animal sacrifices that gratefully we don't have to do anymore. Goats, sheep, bulls, none of that was successful in removing the penalty for sin. All it did was kick the can down a road a little bit. In order to cleanse human sin, the death of a human was needed. Now, if you also read the Older Testament carefully, all of these animal sacrifices had to be spotless. They had to be perfect. Amen. So if we were to look around our planet for a perfect human being, we're going to be hard-pressed to find one. That's why Jesus, God, our Creator, and Jesus, the perfect, sinless human, in one person died for us, and we must see him, made lower than the angels for a little while, crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for us. So here's the application this morning. I, I want you to see Jesus for yourself, and as I read the balance of Hebrews 2, there's three pictures we get of Jesus, three snapshots. And what I want to encourage you to do is zone in, focus in on one of them. Now, maybe your mind is really sharp and you can hold all three in your mind at once. I can't. I just need to focus on one at a time. So listen for that one that pings. Verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, from whom and through whom everything exists, should make, here's that picture, the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Picture Jesus as a pioneer. He is cutting a swath toward God he is going first. If you picture Jesus as a pioneer, he's in front of you, back turn, he's walking, he's moving forward. So the application here, if you want to see Jesus as your pioneer, walk. Do the next right thing. Maybe you've been sitting in a church pew your entire life. For God's sake, get up and start following Jesus. That means waking up tomorrow and saying, God, I want to serve you today. I want you to use me however you want to. Help me to see people to serve and start living your life for him. Instead of sitting, start serving. Jesus is cutting the path. Follow him. Here's the next picture. Jesus is the pioneer, verse 11. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters want to do a quick poll. How many of you are the oldest child in your family? Okay. How many are, you, are the youngest children in your family? I am. The perfect ones, in other words. Keep your hands up. Yeah, yeah. If you're a middle child, we just want to ignore you completely, so we're going to move on. <laughs> I'm married to a middle child. I get that all the time, right? 
So here's the deal. If, if you're an older sibling, you, you know this, and if you're a younger sibling, you know this just from different angel, angles. The older sibling either tends to be irritated and embarrassed by the younger sibling or ignores the other sibling, the younger sibling, or tortures the younger sibling, okay? Or all three, right? But generally, the older ones don't want a whole lot to do with the younger ones. Here in the Scripture, we're given this incredible picture of Jesus that we're not often given in the Bible, that Jesus is our older brother. And here's the mystery. He's not embarrassed by you. And he's certainly not going to ignore you. So today, if you need to see Jesus, could I encourage you to see him as an older brother? It's, again, it sounds odd to say that, but some of you just working so hard, trying to win God's favor, trying to win God's love, and this sounds the opposite of being, seeing Jesus as the pioneer, but maybe you just need to cut yourself a break and rest in your identity. That Jesus said, our Father, and when he calls God his Father, he's also your Father, which means Christ is your brother. So, now, some of you need to get up and get working, right? Follow Jesus. Some of you just need to cut yourself a break. Quit stressing yourself out and rest in your identity. And then here's the last image, verse 14. Since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Jesus has become human. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. There he is. And free those who all their lives have been held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. There's that third image of Jesus. So you may need to see Jesus as your, as your pioneer, as your leader. You may need to see Jesus as your brother. Here we see Jesus as our priest. Priest would do two things. And by the way, I'm going to give two postures here that a priest would take, and we're given both of these images in the Bible. A priest, when he was done with the sacrifice, would sit down, meaning he's done everything that he needs to to pray over people's sins. So, in fact, in Hebrews 1, it says we, we have a priest that sits in the presence of God. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for our salvation. But also the other posture in the New Testament that we often see Jesus in in eternity, and this is in the book of Acts when Stephen is being martyred with his last breath, he sees heaven open and Jesus not sitting, but Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. In the Jewish worldview, standing was a posture of prayer. I find it interesting that as we pray for people this summer, we're actually joining Jesus in what he is doing. There's not a person on your list who Jesus is not praying for. And so you join him in that work. But get this, he is also mindful of you. So you know what? As I look at this, Jesus is our pioneer. We see him. We follow him. Jesus is our brother. We rest in that identity. Jesus is our priest. We don't so much look at him as we just let him look at us. And we let him see all of our lives. So one last verse I want to give you. 
I said that seven times in the book of Hebrews, he uses the, the verb to draw near. Here's one of those. This is Hebrews 7.25. Just listen to this. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. There in this one verse, we see Jesus in that role as a priest, the sacrifice and the intercession. You can even put your name in here. Therefore, he is able to save Darren completely as he draws near to God through him because he always lives to intercede. Dr. Harry Ironside, this is about 60, 70, 80 years ago, preaching the gospel at a university audience in California, and he was approached by a student who said, Dr. Ironside, there are literally thousands of religions in the world. How can we know that this one, Christianity, is true? Henry Ironside replied, well, before I get to your question of which one is true, we need to clarify something. There are not thousands of religions. There are not even hundreds of religions. There are only two one, which tells you that salvation comes as a reward for what you've done, and the other, which tells you that salvation comes by what someone else has done for you. That's Christianity. All the rest fit under the first. And if you think you can get your own salvation by your own efforts, then Christianity has nothing to say to you. But if you know you need to be saved... Christianity has everything to offer. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he lives to make intercession for us. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. So, God, I, I still can't believe I spent $25 on a thing of mud. But in that mud is a bit of mystery, um, that that's where we started. We don't know where that bog is that you first scooped and formed us, but we know that we've been formed by you and we've been deformed by sin. But then, Jesus, that's where you get into the mud with us. You have become one of us as our creator, also as the perfect human. You got into the mud with us. I pray that we would see you for ourselves today and not see you through anybody else's eyes. That's where I just want you to pray an image right now. Do you see Jesus is moving in front of you and it's time for you to follow? Do you see Jesus sitting beside you as a brother and you need to rest in that identity? Or instead of you saying Jesus so much, maybe you need to let Jesus just look at you as your priest. Jesus, help us to see you for ourselves. And seeing you see the great need that we have for salvation that we cannot provide for ourselves, but we simply need to trust you. Help us to see you for ourselves in your name. Amen. So as we sing this song of response today, I want to invite you to make a decision. Maybe you've only seen Jesus through somebody else's eyes. That's no way to live. That's not a faith. That's a reflection of somebody else's faith. Maybe today you need to see Jesus for yourself that you've never followed him truly on your own, your own decision to follow him with the rest of your life. 
While we sing this song of response, I want to invite you to get up and move. We're going to open up our follow-up room. Lindsay, our volunteer director, is going to take lead on the follow-up room today. I'm going to step out for a few minutes as well. If you move, walk over to our follow-up room. I know it can be a little scary. The first question you hear will be, what decision are you coming to make today? And we'll walk with you through that process. But we want every person in this church to have seen Jesus for themselves. If you have not, today is the day for you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's sing. Let's respond. If you want to move out these back doors into our follow-up room, I'll be waiting across the hall for you in a few seconds. Let's respond to the Lord together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.